The little boy, somewhere between three and four, walks briskly alongside mom to keep up. After all, she's trying to get her exercise. She pushes a stroller with her youngest inside, a baby girl. As they walk past a house, the boy spots a foot lying in the grass, bloody with bone and flesh sticking out one end. He notices other body parts, a severed head, complete with partial vertebrae hanging out and eyeballs missing from the sockets. A tombstone sticks out from the lawn with something written on it, but he can't read it yet. The little boy leaves this gruesome scene behind as he walks past the house and says nothing to it, nothing of it to his mom, and she says nothing. And he thinks nothing of it until the next house comes along with the same thing. This happens every day in my neighborhood this time of year, and I'll bet it happens in yours too if you live in town. I would imagine very few, if any, young parents in America sit down with their children and talk with them about a horrible death involving the body being torn or blown to pieces. Because, after all, we're so blessed to not have to deal with that here for real. Unless, of course, you're the unfortunate victim of a killer. But there are children in the world who do walk past real body parts on the streets of their town every day, year-round. And it's not because of an individual crime, but civil war, ethnic cleansing, revolution, and the like. Why does a part of our culture make fun out of death with plastic body parts made in China that you have to store in your garage until next year? I mean, how does that work anyways? You know, you got a plastic bin in your garage with, uh, you know, one of them says feet and the other one says heads. Hey, honey, hand me the, hand me the bin with the, uh, the, the feet in it, the, 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 the severed feet and legs. You mean the one with the heads? No, honey, we used the heads last year. This year we're going to use the feet and the legs. I mean, how does that even work? There's probably some psychology behind the fact that we turn death into a joke on Halloween. I don't know, since becoming a Christian, I've come to believe that we can laugh at death with the gospel. We don't need to fear death because we live on with Jesus who brings us out of death into light and life. Anyway, I have a a little affection for Halloween, as you can tell. I prefer the alternative celebration of the Reformation, and not just because I'm a pastor. Who knows how many Halloweens there have been, but we can pin the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ set more free than it was before to October 31st, 1517. On top of that, we don't get many 500-year anniversaries of anything in this country. The 500th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence is a long way off. And I sure hope Jesus returns by then because there's going to be a lot of real people torn and blown to pieces between now and then, and we need it to stop. Our children and their children and their children's children will need it to stop. In the meantime, as long as God has us wait, what can this year-long celebration mean to us other than a history lesson which few are really interested in? Can even being aware that there has been a reformation in the Christian church make any difference in the way you and I live out our Christian faith? 
especially in a world which thinks we're irrelevant and extreme? I think so. I just don't know how yet. <laughs> I got to read a few more books and do some more research. I got to talk with some people like our youth and our young adults and learn more about what's on their mind as they walk with Jesus. I don't know, I, you know, I don't know about Europe where the Reformation started. Europe seems like a lost cause today with, as far as Christianity is, is concerned, but I could be wrong. As the big denominations over there dwindle away, we can be confident the Holy Spirit continues to bring people to faith there in smaller settings. I'm sure this is happening. It may be where we're headed as a church in this country. Smaller, but stronger. Or should I say, more committed and faithful to the Word. That's what it was like for the Christians in Rome. Small groups of Christians gathered in homes or secret places. When you talk about death and body parts, well, the Roman Empire excelled at that. Christians and people considered irrelevant to the empire were thrown to the lions in stadiums for entertainment. You would think Paul would write a letter of consolation to them in the midst of terror to these Christians in Rome, but instead he writes this complex thesis on justification. Turns out this complex letter becomes the text of the Reformation. While Luther was teaching a class on Romans, either by the power of the Holy Spirit or his own reason, I would like to think it was the Spirit, he realized his works and his penance didn't favor or didn't win favor with God at all. God declared him not guilty of sin by the work of his son Jesus on the cross. Salvation is the free gift from God to you and me and that's what this day is all about. Some Christians would say, well, we have to play some part in our faith. You know, we have to say yes to Jesus or we, we have to step up to the plate and believe. We have to make it worth Jesus' time and suffering or it's cheap grace. Well, what's the difference between a free lunch and a cheap lunch? Salvation wasn't free. It cost a great deal. The very life of the one who came down from heaven. It's free for you and me, but it's very precious, not cheap. I don't know, the Reformation was tumultuous to say the least. The church became fractured, people became riled up, and sinful men killed their Christian brothers over things that really didn't matter in the end. But at the heart of all the tumult was love. The love of God shown to the world through Jesus Christ. Things calmed down. The Lutherans grew in Europe and started moving here about a hundred years later after Luther posted the 95 Thesis. And here we are, 400 years after that, inheritors of this heritage. Again, I'm still working on some golden nugget I can give you from the Reformation that'll be helpful for you in your walk as a Christian. I feel like that's my job. I feel like that's what you're expecting of me. But if you're not, hey, let me know because it'll take a lot of pressure off. This special anniversary falls at an interesting time in our history or in our country. It's easy to get discouraged, but I think it's also an exciting time of opportunity. 
The time where everyone believes in Jesus and worships Him is reserved for heaven, you know. And it's not going to happen here in America. But in the meantime, the gospel can be preached and people can be baptized. And Christians like you and me can live our lives with joy and some winsomeness and faithfulness to Christ and His Word. And maybe, just maybe, a few more will want to come along for the journey into eternal life. Even some who right now might think we are irrelevant and extreme. I know my colleague over at Living Savior has been working on his special message for us this afternoon for months. Maybe a year even, I don't know. So I'd like to let this message be a, I'd like to let his message be a continuation of mine, even though I'm sure his is much better. But before we give our offerings, let's play a little Reformation vocabulary. huh? Justified. What does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? Without sin, okay. What else? Cleansed, okay. How about all of you in the back there? What do you know about being justified? What can you tell me? What does it mean to be justified? Declared not guilty. All right. Diana, here you go. Catch. Happy Halloween. Oh, look at that. Being declared not guilty, a legal term, a law term. But let me give you a kind of a, a more contemporary metaphor. Microsoft Word on the computer, right? When you justify the right margin, the edges line up perfectly. So you've been justified, made right with God. That's easy to remember. Okay, how about righteousness? What does righteousness mean? You, you and I are made righteous. We have the righteousness of God. Okay, truth. We, we have the truth of God. All right, what else? We live right. Okay. In accordance with the bylaws and the constitution of the church? Is that what you said, Leo? <laughs> oh, the Bible. Okay, I thought you said bylaws. I'm sorry. Okay, yes, that's right. But how about you t- we take the E-O-U-S out of righteousness and just make it rightness. We have the rightness of God. All right, let's see. How about faith? Oh, that's kind of a different one, and that means so many things to so many different people. What does faith mean? Go ahead, Kim. Belief, okay. Conviction of your belief. Um, what, Franny? Okay, uh, belief in the unseen. Yeah, those are all good. Uh, faith how about this the relationship God has made in which he calls you his child and saves you that's not the only definition but that's just one more I'll offer to you all right and the last one salvation okay eternal life oh resurrection okay very good very good salvation it's what the firefighter does when he pulls you out of the burning building right it it's what the lifeguard does when when she pulls you out of uh, when you're drowning right saving with the few days of halloween left uh, of the of the halloween season if you can call it a season go tell your neighbor with the plastic body parts in his front yard that you believe in the resurrection of the body and all its parts and the life everlasting that's a gift worth celebrating not just every 500 years but every minute of every day. Amen.
May the peace of God, which surpasses all our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.